Sheila Addison. Well, let me say this as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B. is over in Studio CC. We will get our guest on in the next segment. Uh, our guest who is joining us is Jolene Philo. She is the co-author of the book Sharing Love Abundantly and Special Needs Families, The Five Love Languages for Parents Raising Children with Disabilities. She has co-authored this book with Dr. Gary Chapman, hmm. um, who I think everyone immediately associates with the five love languages. Yeah. And so um, I'm excited to talk to her about it. Um, we spend quite a bit of time trying to touch on all of the different areas that we are affected as believers and um, and raising children or caring for children uh, who are disabled or who have developmental or intellectual delays is all of a part is all a part of that. Yeah. And um, it affects us personally. Mm-hmm. So we think in terms of what it's like to have different family structures and, yeah. and how those families are set up. And I got to tell you, there's nothing like um, either. I guess you could go into the field of study or work with children who have uh, different special needs or you can be impacted in your own family personally, but it's nothing like direct, at least in my opinion, Will, mm-hmm. there's nothing like direct contact to change your perception or your understanding yeah. of how families, entire families are affected by disabilities uh, in their family. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not just, you know what I mean? It's not just one person and it's not just the parents, it's the siblings and it's the extended family. Right. It's the friends. Right. I mean, it's anybody who um, comes in close contact with that family. Uh, you learn how to navigate around whatever the special needs are for that child or that loved one. And that's compassion. Like that's not a burden. I hope it doesn't sound that I'm painting it as a burden, but it is reality. Yeah. And um, I don't think I realized how um, all encompassing it is until uh, we learned that our family was affected uh, by a developing child who was not developing um, at the rate that he should. Mm-hmm. And um, and so anyway, we've been we've been navigating that. I mean, he's he's five. Nathaniel is um, is well, he'll, he'll be six in, in April of next year. But um, his development is probably I would I would say it's about a year and a half behind mm-hmm. where he should be. And along with that comes some emotional um, delays, some intellectual delays. And uh, and, you know, so we've been navigating that since I guess the time he was officially diagnosed, right. which was about three. Uh, but we noticed that there were some delays all along the way. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you just think. Well, that's, you know, and and you try to be careful because you go, although we have, you know, been at this point three mm-hmm. times before, yeah. you know, you think, well, each kid is different. And so you tell yourself, well, maybe, you know, um, but he walked later. He talked later. Um, his his emotional engagement, his intellectual engagement was completely delayed and his ability to to make 
complete sentences at the time. He should have been doing that um, all really delayed. Uh, but you you don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you don't know with finality that there is something wrong. You kind of think, well, that's not, you know. And, and then and eventually thing you can really gauge it on is, well, for me, was the other children. That's you right. Know, and you can because there, there, there's those things, those markers, those milestones and stuff that's like right. that. Like that, you know, kids meet. And uh, when you see them not meeting those things and it's like, wow, it's been a while. It seemed like they're taking a longer time to walk and and stuff like that. That's exactly right. You know, you just start to notice. And you get really concerned and your mind goes to like, you know, figuring it out on your own. And, you know, and there's, you know, so um, anyway, so this is something that we care about personally. And um, as we have grown in this and and are walking through this, uh, we've had the opportunity to meet a lot of parents who are walking through um, similar situations with their children and trying to figure out how to navigate that and then um, add to that how to navigate that in a church setting, mm, right? <laughs> in the body of Christ, yeah. because it's a whole different culture, right? It's a whole different type of engagement and environment that we would have um, our special needs kids in. And, uh, and so you've got to figure that out, you know, because it's not, you know, when I was growing up, and which is, a, I think, a topic that we'll have to do another day, you know, but the increased rates of uh, kids who are on the autism spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, it's just alarming, in my opinion. And I have some thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and in time, and that's we'll a, that's a lot thoughts. that's alarming to me as far as what is now that wasn't before as yes. in, you know, in, in the same numbers. Like, that's right. You know, when you look back, you're like, man, I don't remember having this. I don't remember like this being so pronounced. At least at this level. Not at this such level. Such high, high numbers, like, such increased numbers. I don't remember everyone having peanut allergies. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. everyone bringing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to school. Sure. <laughs> you know, sure. See, but now you have to have these things in place. You know, um, these warnings and different things. And because it seemed like those allergies. Have and in some places, this, it's even banned. Yeah. Like some places yeah. you can't bring it at all. Like it's just not allowed in some schools because of the severe allergic reaction. I mean, you remember the one story earlier this year of the kid who died as a result of an allergic reaction to a neighbor. I think it was his aunt who was frying fish. Yes. And he just smelled the fish Isn't that, and died. That's crazy. I mean, it just, you know, and so there's, you know, there's all kinds of things. But my my point that I was going to make earlier was that when when you and I were growing up in church, if there was an unruly kid, you automatically assumed you need to take them outside. Right, right. Give them a little tap. Right. Give them a little spank and they'll sit still or or give them a peppermint. Yeah. Give that kid a peppermint and tell him to sit down, you know. And uh, and so you 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 knew it was just a matter of defiance or a personality. It wasn't. But now. Um, you look around and at least as I as I understand some things that I didn't understand before, mm-hmm. it's not just this kid doesn't want to be in church or this kid is, you know, yeah. being, as our kids would call it, extra. Um, <laughs> it's, it's that there are some developmental delays. And I think people, um, churchgoers, including the parents, by the way, are struggling with how do you how do you say that to someone? Right. You know, it's like you almost want to say, hang on a second. My kid's not just bad. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. there's something else going on here, but you can't you can't put that on a shirt necessarily. You can't put that on a sign and just hold it up when people turn around and look at you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you <laughs> cause a ruckus trying to get the kid out because it just, you know, it's not it's not your typical tantrum that yeah. most people witness when they watch a kid who has emotional delays and intellectual delays. It's not right. just let them lay down there and work it out. Right. You know what I mean? It's it different. is it's, different. it's a complete shutdown and an inability 
to gather oneself. <laughs> and I will say, as far as yeah. in Nathaniel's case, he's gotten much better than oh, by God's than grace, he, than he was. And praise God for that. You know, and we pray uh, on a regular basis that the Lord will renew His mind. Yes, you know, um, and because the thing is, we believe that God is able to heal. You know, That's He's right. able to to fix those things that uh, are so called broken. You know, mm-hmm. or whatever. And man, you know, the, those consistent prayers, I believe God hears them and he's poised to answer. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you said that because I, I think that um, in addition, because we do have Nathaniel in therapy, but mm-hmm. our, we led with prayer. Yes. And we continue to initiate our engagement with Nathaniel uh, with prayer. And I'm not ashamed of that. As Christians, we should not be ashamed or think it overly mystical to talk about prayer. Prayer is all throughout the scripture. Intercession is all throughout the word of God. We are encouraged to pray. In fact, we're encouraged to pray versus being anxious. Right. And if you've got a kid who's got some developmental delays or who's got some intellectual delays or who's got some physical disabilities, you tend toward anxiety. Right. You tend to, you know, right. look at where you're going to have to be and yeah. all of your life is kind of shaped around, okay, it's it's the equivalent of where are all the exits? Yeah. You know no, what I mean? You, you have to get Yeah, <laughs> you have to. I mean, even planning, you know, vacations, different things That's like right. that. Where can we go? What can we, you know, because you got to take into consideration and it could bring about anxiety, but we are charged to be anxious for nothing. That's right. That's right. I mean, we we took Nathaniel um, and, and we tried to be very careful with him and what we would what we would subject him to because he is emotionally unstable sometimes and which he's gotten a lot better, as you pointed out, is so true. But um, we took a risk last year and uh, we took him on a vacation where he would be away from home for five days mm-hmm. outside of his element. And um I was trying to avoid all of the things that I thought, you know, would be potential triggers. So I brought all of his food so that he would have everything that he liked to eat. Right. Um, But I didn't anticipate that it would be, I guess, just everything all combined that just really messed him up. And uh, when we got back from that vacation, um, he didn't eat for at least a couple of weeks. I want to say a little bit more than that. It felt like a month. if it was, it was. I, mean, I didn't was, want to exaggerate it because you know how you got on to me yesterday. But it, I think it was pretty close to. It was pretty close to a month. Like, at least it, it it dragged on forever. He yeah. uh, subsisted on nutrition drinks, nutritional right. shakes, and uh, was wasting away. You know, and it's a mental thing for him. He just was unsettled mm-hmm. and he could not recover. And so there was a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety that goes into that. You're like, where can we go? Right. What can we do? Right. What can he be a part of? And uh, we had some brothers and sisters in the Lord um, to encourage us and to let us know that they were praying for us all throughout the process. We were talking about it on the morning show because every day it was, is he going to eat? Is yeah. he going? Is today going to be the day that, that he's going to eat? Which for a parent um, is incredibly unsettling. Yeah. Right. Because and there wasn't like, much he was eating before. You know, right. Very, so to, to get rid yeah. of that. <laughs> so it's like now it's like, man, he has to eat something like Yikes. he has to, you know. Yeah, that's at, right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we got through that. We got yes. through that. And we had some friends who encouraged us and and um, and directly said, do not give up taking him places. Mm-hmm. Do not believe that you cannot take him places and you should continue trying to do that. And um, and that kept kind of just resounding in my head and in my heart. And and we did. We take shorter trips trying yeah. to prepare him for being outside of his element. And I am so excited to say that uh, this summer we took our first long trip again. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, we prayed about it. Remember how much yeah. <laughs> we spent so much time praying about this. Can we take this kid? We were going to take him 12 hours away uh, to North Carolina for a week for a camp. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody's listening going, this just keeps getting worse and worse. I mean, come on. And uh, would you know that the Lord in his mercy and his faithfulness, giving us what we don't have any rights or any claims over, uh, not only did Nathaniel enjoy himself and adjust, mm-hmm. uh, did not adversely affect his appetite, but man, he was begging to travel again. Yeah. In fact, he's been asking us, he wants to go on other trips. I mean, the Lord just really uh, responded, you know, because as a parent, you think it's it's sort of like muscle memory. If it hurts when I do that, then I'm not doing that again. Avoid that, yeah. You know, that's that's going to be all out. So right. anyway, all of that kind of goes into the conversation that we're going to have today uh, with Jolene Philo. Um, how do we love our kids who have these disabilities? And how do parents maintain their relationship uh, around caring for our kids who have disabilities? Mm. Because the reality is, it seems that all of the attention goes to the kid who requires special attention, Mm. right? And if we're not careful, then what ends up happening is that our marriages can suffer and our relationships with our other kids, uh, which I'm learning by way of this book. I didn't realize that when you have a kid who has a disability, and and I don't know if this is just sort of the blanket term, I'll, I'll ask Jolene about this. But uh, the other kids are called typical kids. Hmm. So you have a disabled kid and then you have your your typical kid or your typical kids that you are also raising in the family. So I'll ask her about that because, um, you know, there's the terms change almost constantly, it seems like. Yeah. Where, you know, (laughs) what is what is the accepted way to refer to a kid who has this ailment and what is the accepted way, you know, um, and so, so anyway, so I'm learning as I go. Nathaniel is only five. And, uh, and so I, I imagine that, you know, in years we will continue to learn. But I will tell you this for sure. There, there are many things that I'm not certain of. One thing I am certain of, we will continue to go to the master on his behalf. Amen. We will Amen. not neglect praying for Nathaniel. Amen. God is sovereign. And God has great plans for his life. He's not here by accident. He's not here by accident. So anyway, all right, we'll grab the break and we'll come back with our guest, Jolene Philo. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. You stay right there.
It's extended. It's just, I know. They're like, where are they? <laughs> no, people I mean, loving the song, man. How do you interrupt a moment like that, They're not right? worried about us coming back. Look, I don't care what it is <laughs> that we do in life. I don't care what it is that we're going to talk about. For us to pause for a moment to remember the fact, if in fact this is fact, <laughs> that Jesus Christ revealed himself to you. Mm. And that the Holy Spirit enabled you to respond is powerful. Amen. That is the most important decision that we have ever made to when we heard the voice of the Lord, that we didn't harden our hearts, that we didn't ignore his call, that we didn't say, oh, tomorrow or oh, when, you know, when I'm older and when I'm not so busy or when I've lived a life that we were able to respond. I mean, this is this is incredible. Yeah. Right. This is, this is what makes us who we are. And this is why I say all the time that as Christians, our first and foremost identity must be that. Mm-hmm. Everything else must be filtered through that. There is nothing else that should get top billing in our life. I mean, it seems so simple to me. <laughs> but I think that when you have been, you know, when you understand what the gospel is and you understand what it is to be forgiven, um, then you fight for the truth. Right. You fight for the fact (laughs) that you you deserve death. So to be brought into this new family, you could not just stand idly by and watch anyone or anything destroy it. Mm. It's a family that wasn't your own. You had no claim to it. Right. And so suddenly you have been brought into the family of God because of what Jesus Christ did. But God moves on your heart. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and then he gives you the ability to respond. And you do. So how do you allow anything else to come first in your life over that? How could I ever be black before I'm a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. How could I ever be conservative before I'm a Christian? How, right. how could any of the things that we make so over being a Christian, like those things just could not and they should not. And I would suggest, and you know, and I'll be careful, but I would suggest for the truly converted, for those who, who understand what Jesus Christ has done, mm-hmm. um, man, we are humbled. Amen. We are humbled. We come before the Lord as a servant. In fact, I, I wrote a post on Facebook on Monday, and it was a post that was prompted by reading more of the information from the United Methodist Church and what's going on with UM Forward. And there was an awful lot of uh, talking about what people's individuals, their individual rights were and their their demands and their claims on the church and and what they have the right to. And I was thinking about how uh, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever we thought were our rights, Mm -hmm. like fade, you know what I mean? Like whatever you think you have a right to, to just hold on to Mm -hmm. whatever you think you have the right to just, you know, keep 
you're like, none of that matters. Right. Whatever right. was gained, we count it all as loss. Right. And and I think and and in fact this will tie in nicely, which by the way, we're having a we're having a um an issue getting Jolene on. So I don't know if we'll, we'll end up being able to interview her today. I hope that it turns out that we can, but if we can't, um, we have another topic actually that we were going to get to in the first segment, but because I'm Gabby, because <laughs> I'm Gabby, nah. uh, we didn't get to it. But, um, but look, I, you know, my concern for the church is that we have gotten really good at making less of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's my concern for the church. You know, every everywhere that I travel um, to all the groups that I speak to um, as I disciple women. Um, and this is important to me. My concern is that we have gotten so good at downplaying Jesus Christ that we have just completely found ourselves in a place where he's just less made of mm. like he like we just, you know, it's you know, because what it, this is how it started. It started that we were attempting to be relevant or, as they say in the business world, watch this, seeker sensitive. And by business, I mean the church. When we turn the church into a business and how do we grow it? And we looked at church growth models and we said, well, the way to do that is to form an entity or a collection of people that look less churchy. So we started to remove any kind of emblems that would, you know, remind people of the reasons that were there. In other mm -hmm. words, let's not make so much of Jesus, then people will want to come and belong. And so there's this weird order that we have in the church. It's so interesting to me. And, and, and you see this mm -hmm. uh, represented in the culture as well. Right. But there's this weird order of people sort of like, you know, what they say in church settings. They say, come and belong. And then believe, right? Like, it's like, wait, no, um, <laughs> that's not the order. <laughs> that's like, you believe, right? You understand? Like, you, you, you come into the family of God, then you belong to the family of God. Now, if you have like a social club, then yeah, you can just come belong. Yeah. Just yeah. come belong and believing is optional. Yeah. If we really believed what the gospel is, do you know how that would radically change our engagement with our culture? It would radically change our engagement. Mm. Um, let me let me segue into this article that okay. is disturbing to me. And, and um, I want us to have a conversation around this. Okay. It's disturbing to me, but but it's not discouraging. And and the reason for that, the reason that it is not discouraging is because I believe there is hope. I believe that um, America and then when we became a nation, the United States of America, I believe that we have seen dark days before. But out of those dark days, the Lord has in the history of the, the, the forming of this country, the Lord has stirred individuals who, um, as a result of their individual stirrings, if you will, um, have caused almost sort of like a domino effect that we later went on to call Great Awakenings. Mm. Right. In this country. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of that and when I'm reminded of what the Lord has done with the church and for the church, mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm disturbed by this story that I'm going to share, but I'm not discouraged. OK. And, and I hope that that I will not be alone <laughs> in that sentiment once I'm done. Here is the headline that grabbed my attention. A report projects that 35 million youth will leave Christianity by 2050. Hmm. So in 30 years, 35 million young people 
will leave Christianity. A recent report says that 35 million youths raised in Christian families are projected to disaffiliate from Christianity by the year 2050. Wow. Wow. Now that's a disturbing number. That is a, that is a disturbing number. And as I go through this article and kind of point out some of the highlights, you'll see the reason why this should be as disturbing as it is. Mm -hmm. The 131 page report titled the great opportunity is based on reviews of different reports and surveys which examine millennial attitudes toward religion and relies on four major research efforts. Here are the four major research efforts that this 131-page report relies on. It relies on efforts from Pew Research Center's Religious Landscape Study, conducted from 2007 to 2014. It draws from the Baylor Religion Survey, conducted from 2007 to 2011. It draws information from a September 2016 survey from the Public Religion Research Institute. And then finally, number four, it draws information uh, from the research conducted by the Gallup Annual Religion Survey from 1992 to 2016. And when you put all of that information together and you study trends and and these are the types of um, the types of information that is gathered to project business trends to look at how people are going to engage with businesses and products and all of these things. And so there's a certain reliability here that you have when you're looking certainly at these institutions who are conducting this research. But when all of this is taken into consideration, this massive disaffiliation trend over the next 30 years, listen to me, will represent the largest missional opportunity in the United States history. The largest missional opportunity in the United States history. If you go back to what was called the retention rate of Gen Xers. So, Will, that would be me and you, right, from 20 years ago. And where there was a sort of a, I don't want to misuse this word because I'm going to double back to talking about the awakening. But there was high alert around the fact that Young people were leaving the church. So the church responded with targeted outreach (laughs) to those Gen Xers. Mm -hmm. And that slowed down disaffiliation by like 20 million young people. Okay. So, yeah. So, so there was, there was a great impact. And in fact, can I just say this? And I'm not trying to take a shot at him, but Joshua Harris probably in some ways was a part of this slowdown. You know, this was the so the, the purity return. stuff. And, well, I'm, and... that was a part of it. Okay, that was a part of it. But I think it was intense discipleship, right? Okay. It was <laughs> a youth group culture that we don't recognize today. Mm. So it was a youth group culture that would have been heavier on teaching the word and gotcha. making sure that kids understood what they believed. Today, and and I say this carefully. Today we largely have, and this is not in every instance, that's why I say largely, right? Because you will have the people who will stand up and say, well, that's not happening in my youth group. Well, respectfully, then I'm not talking to you. If you're (laughs) not doing this, then you're not represented in this. Largely what we have 
in the United States of America is a youth group culture that is heavy on socializing. It's heavy on entertainment. It's heavy on eating. It's heavy on merriment. And then there's maybe 10 minutes devoted to a message that is supposed to be inspirational and then get them through the rest of the week. But you know what? That's that's kind of mirroring what the church services are like. Exactly. The church services are different as well (laughs) from 20 years ago. (laughs) Well, you, okay, so that's it. You are spot on. I mean, we understand gumbo from New Orleans, right? And when you dip the ladle down in the pot, you can only get what's in that pot. Mm -hmm. So if the kids are coming out, if they're a subset of the church at large, then you can't get anything different. Mm. So if, if parents are showing up at church to be entertained, then when their kids are dismissed, they expect the same thing. Right. right. If, if it's just a social gathering, we I think we've lost our understanding of what it is to be the church. And this is adversely affecting Christianity in America. Hmm. This is why people are able to pack out churches. I mean, tens of thousands of people in one particular congregation. And I think you can have even more pressure that's felt of entertaining the younger uh, people than the older. When I think, in fact, a lot of young people probably don't want all of that like i think there's some people young people that's like nah i want you know what was real you know but i, I think, think there's a right. mindset that oh man we gotta we gotta be relevant and cool and do this mm-hmm. and do that you know and maybe if, if you did tone that down a little bit and just begin to do some some real discipleship things man you might find that that kids are like man i love this <laughs> yeah. And but I don't know. You've got to get like somebody. It's it's like somebody's got to start the slow clap. You know what I mean? Somebody's yeah. got to start doing it. Right. And and not be sure that other people will join in clapping. Yeah. Right. So and so what does that look like? That looks like somebody getting off the crazy train and saying, <laughs> you know what? There's no pizza tonight, guys. There's no pizza. Tonight, we're going to start in Exodus 5. I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? Tonight, we're going to just, and, and guess what? We're opening and closing with prayer. Maybe, maybe somebody's got to start that, and we might be surprised to find that other people start clapping, so mm-hmm. to speak, and keeping, mm-hmm. keeping with the analogy. Right. But I think you're absolutely right. And you used to say this all the time, especially with some of the heavier hitting topics that we would discuss in the morning. You would say that what these churches use to gather young people is what they'll have to keep doing to keep them. That's right. So all of the gimmicks have kind of run their course. And now what we are looking at is in 30 years, about 35 million young people disaffiliating, Mm -hmm. saying, eh, I'm not a Christian. And here's the crazy part about that. Let me jump down in this article, because one thing that really grabbed my attention is that the researchers say when you look at the decline and you look at all the information that is to be considered, this is not the gradual shift into secularization that was experienced in Europe. They say what's happening in America is quite different. It's not secularization. It is indifference. Ah. Indifference. So in other words, the young people who we're looking at and the threat is that they will leave. It's not that they are overly secularized. It's that I just don't care. I don't care about the apathy. Uh, Whatever. uh, I mean, you know. Mm. All right. We'll pick up here when we get back. Aaron, the Addison's on American Family Radio. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back. Uh, this is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Path of Revelation. Believers. Sherry B. is over in Studio CC. If you want to comment on anything we're talking about today, and it looks like, as Providence will have it, um, we're not going to have Jolene Philo on today, and I, I was looking forward to talking to her. We'll try to see if we can get her scheduled on tomorrow. There was just a, a problem with the contact and getting it all set up, and uh, from time to time that happens, and so you just have to roll with it. Um, I, I will say that I trust that the Lord is sovereign, so however this all works out, um, I believe that all those things work together for good. Amen. And that doesn't make me churchy, just biblical. Just yes. biblical, right? Yes. <laughs> you're checking, you're like, am I churchy? Am I churchy? I don't no, you're not churchy. churchy. You're not churchy. Okay, well, good. <laughs> not anymore. I, well, yeah, right. <laughs> Been rehabilitated. Um, anyway, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you want to comment on anything that we're talking about this afternoon, then you can uh, give Sherry B a call. I tell you what. Let me, let me, we've got three books from our interview yesterday with Nina Rosner. Um, the Respect Dare, you know, for mm-hmm. teens, if you're raising teens and tweens. If you were listening yesterday, the first three people to call 888-589-8840 will get a copy of the book. The first three people to give Sherry B a call and say, hey, I was listening. I sure would like a copy of that book. Uh, if you get through, you get it. 888-589-8840. Um, also, what I'm going to do, this may be a little bit confusing here. Um, Uh-oh. I'm just going to open the phone lines for you to comment on what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. So the only confusion is just letting Sherry know which you want. You know, the first three people get the book. So after that, Sherry will let us know, and then we don't have any more books. But if you want to talk <laughs> about... Um, what we're talking about today, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to get your take on this report, this information that projects 35 million youth to leave Christianity in 30 years. That is a lot of people. And let me tell you though, it's not, so it's there. I think that there are many facets to this, right? We're Mm -hmm. not just looking at um, these people, although that's what grieves us the most, right? Because you say, wow, you know, these are souls. These are people who are made in the image of God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Made in the image of God. They are, 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 are real people. <laughs> you know, That's when, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. When you hear those numbers, sometimes the personhood of it, mm-hmm. you know, if you will, gets lost in it. Right. But I got to tell you, the other thing that's alarming to me is that this represents the proliferation of the gospel. Mm. When you say 35 million youths are projected to leave Christianity in 30 years, you're talking about adversely affecting the spread of the proliferation of the gospel. Right. This is a big issue for us. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, our our uh, our message banks on boldness, yes, but it is transgenerational transmission of that message. Mm-hmm. That we also bank on that right. it will be passed down. I mean, this is this is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. I mean, second Timothy two, two. That's and right. so this the expectation is that this is going to be passed down to faithful men who will pass it down to faithful men. I mean, it's not just a grow a, a throwaway admonition that right. just oh, and by the way, tell other people. It's no, 
pass this down to faithful men mm-hmm. who will teach others also. Yeah. And so one of the primary ways that we do this is within the context of our own families. But let me tell you what I think the problem is that we are experiencing in the church. I think the problem is that we have lost our understanding of what it is to make disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you something else that may not be popular by way of opinion here. Um, We have lost our value for transgenerational discipleship. Mm. And so I say this respectfully and lovingly to grandparents and grand aunts and uncles, if you will. Those who feel like, oh, that's not my generation. I already raised my kids. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. you are tasked with transmitting the gospel. Timothy learned from his grandmother and mother. And his mother. That is an (laughs) excellent point. You know, that is an excellent point. So the reason I started by saying that this is um, this is disturbing to me, but it's not discouraging is because I was reminded, even in reading this article, it mentions the first great awakening. And I was reminded of some other information that I knew about this first outpouring that was called the fire in the new world and and what was happening, that being a Christian had become somewhat of a cerebral experience where people were just touting what they knew of doctrine and theology, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But their hearts were cold. And what happened was the Lord started stirring the colonists. Yeah. So in the 1730s, their hearts began to stir for a a passion for the Lord, a passion for the things of God. How do we take what's in our head and and bring it to our heart? Right. And then live according to to that connection that is then made. And there's one particular family that really stands out that I want to remind our listeners of and, and maybe in some instances alert you to this this family for the first time. But it was a a father and son team, William. Tennant and his son, Gilbert Tennant. Okay. In 1736, the Tennants started to see that there was a coldness among professing Christians. So William Tennant, the father, mm-hmm. began to take young men into his home and train and disciple them in the things of God. William Tennant began to make disciples, robust, active Followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the process of doing this, he was mocked. Mm. They move into this modest little building where William Tennant and then eventually eventually his son Gilbert joins in. They are training these ministers, training these young men to really live what they believe. They are mocked because their conditions are modest. They have what is called a log college, right? It's a it's a chintzy little place where they're meeting, but they are training and developing disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This log college, which began in Pennsylvania, eventually moves from Pennsylvania and goes to New Jersey, where it becomes what we know today, Princeton University. Mm. Why do I say that? I say that because I wonder what the Lord still wants to do in the United States of America Mm -hmm. that will begin with the personal conviction that, hey, we're not all right. (laughs) We're not okay here. See, because Princeton University began because the tenants said, wait, we're not okay here. (laughs) We, Mm -hmm. We need men who know the truth and can teach others. We need 2 Timothy 2 too. And out of that, 
came Princeton University. God is not done with the United States of America. I wonder what it is that the Lord will do big scale in the United States of America when the church responds and says, hey, we have a problem here. Yeah. There is something going on with us, and we need to return to the truth of the word of God. All right, that's that's my thought on that. Let's go to the phone lines, 888-589-8840. Will the Great, where do we go first? David in uh, Virginia. Hi, David. Hi. Uh, I'm glad uh, that I've been able to talk to you now. So I have two comments. One is regarding the uh, reaching the youth. And the way to reach the youth is not to come up with the best, you know, most interesting program in church, but rather, excuse me, but rather reach the parents and give them the, and and encourage them and teach them and exhort them Mm. to reach their own children and bring Mm. them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. 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 In in, um, Malachi chapter four, verses five and six, the last two verses of the Old Testament, God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children Mm. and the heart of the children to their fathers, Mm -hmm. lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And we are experiencing the consequences of fathers not turning their hearts to their children, Mm. or first even to the Lord, and then to their children. Mm. And the consequences are all over, and they're bad. If we're going to change things, we must. Turn the heart of the fathers to the children. That's and good. The heart of the children to their fathers. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Just one more comment. Another thing that the church is not doing that we, or at least most of them are not doing, and that's teaching the fundamental doctrines of the faith. Mm. We have to teach. We have to teach believers what they believe and why. That's so that right. They can be grounded in the faith, and right. then they can go forth and teach their children and, and, and witness and bring up, win others to Christ. That, that's what I was going to say. Oh, uh, that's great. Man. Great points, David. David, God bless you. Man, I, he's right. You, you know, you training are the parents. spot on. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's tra- right. Training the parents and, and showing them the role that they have in discipling their own children. That would help because what happens in the home uh, is the main thing. The, the youth group or whatever the church has is a supplement to mm-hmm. what's already happening uh, in the home. But a lot of times what happened is, you know, they'll, you know, we'll send our kids off to the youth group and want the youth pastor to do all the discipleship, all Come the on. training, you know, and, and everything else. And at home, we feel like, well, we don't have time for that. But it's, oh, it's, it's the opposite. We're supposed to do it at home. And when you send them to church, when they go to church, I say send them to church, when you all go to church and they may have a youth group that they attend, that's supposed to reinforce what's already been uh, done at home. That's exactly right. I mean, I that is such a spot on observation. And all of that coupled with the return to sound doctrine. Yes. Where we know what it is that we're teaching our kids and our kids know how to defend what it is that they receive from us. Mm. I mean, it really is a twofold uh, approach to this, but I agree 100 percent. Yes. Let's go back to the phone lines. 888-589-8840. Will the Great, where do we go next? Let's go to Cassie in Texas. Hi, Cassie. Hi, how are you? All right. How you Good. doing? Good. Good, good, good. Yeah, so I just wanted to first of all say I. Oh, can you turn your radio down? I please? love your show. Okay. Well, I don't. It's not even on. Okay, go ahead. I am outside, but oh dear. Can Can you hear me? Yes. 
Maybe I should go inside. I don't know. (laughs) You're good. good. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sitting on my front porch. I'm like a front porch girl. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. I'm sitting out there having my Bible time. Okay. Anyway, so I just love your show and um, that how you bring together. Oh, we're getting some feedback. I don't know what's going on. I know. What's going on? I don't know either. Okay. Let's try it Hmm. again. Go ahead. Okay, is that better? Yeah, go ahead. No, can you hear me? Okay, well, anyway, I grew up in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh huh. So the whole Ferguson thing broke yeah. my heart mm-hmm. because you know I love how y'all bring the um, everyone together, and we lived peacefully. I mean, I'm old, but you know there was no issues, and um, I just okay. it breaks my heart about that, and I love. I love how you're. Man, I um, think we have a really bad connection yes. with Cassie. If, if you can call back, Cassie, I think I hate to do we that. have feedback, and it's really bad. Yeah, I'm. I'm so sorry about that. I hate to do that. Let's try to see if we can squeeze in one more call before we wrap up the show today. Will the Great? Where do we go next? All right, let's try Hal in North Carolina. Go ahead. Hey y'all, how you doing? Doing good. I just real quick. Um, oh wow. I, I think one thing. That, we have to do is we have to go to where the kids are. That must be on our end. I don't know what's going on. I'm not. I'm not sure what's going on, but we have some some feedback happening. Uh, yeah, I hear that, and it can't be the same thing happening. No, with, with it must one be individual. something. Oh goodness! So maybe it's a end. connection issue that we're having. Yeah, and I hate that we're not going to get um, more comments. And I tell you what, I think we should do if if the Lord allows. Uh, Tomorrow, we need to open the phone lines again okay. and allow those who wanted to get in to comment on this. Because, listen, this is our issue. This is a church issue. Yeah. This is not just an issue for parents who are raising millennials or who are raising Gen Z. This is the church's issue. And why is this the church's issue? Because what we are talking about, one, is we're talking about souls. Mm-hmm. But two, as I said, we are talking about the proliferation of the gospel. Yeah. So how does the gospel get passed down from generation to generation? If you've got 35 million, man, that's crazy. (laughs) 35 million in one particular generation who are just dropping it. Yeah. They're just saying, and and it's not because, Oh my goodness, you know, they are, they are just so secularized that they don't even have an affinity for the things of God. It's just, and we just don't care. Yeah. The problem is one of indifference is Mm. what we're dealing with right now in the body of Christ. And so my question is, you know, how do we begin to warm our kids hearts for the truth? Yeah. Well, I think that we ourselves have to have a warmed heart for the truth. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it starts with us. Th- it That's can't right. just be an intellectual assent, right, right to, the, to the truth. Like, it can't just be we know what the truth is, but knowing what the truth is must be connected to our heart, which then will be indicated in how we live. Mm. And our kids have to see that. Amen. So anyway, I go back to what David said, though. It totally is our job as parents to be doing this, right? to be equipped to do it and to equip our kids to live it out. We're out of time today. Man, I feel bad about those technical difficulties. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.